So we are going to be uh, talking about this uh, discipleship, but specifically about evangelism involved with discipleship. And so um, I'm excited about this because uh, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about uh, different concepts that are going to hit your heart tonight, or at least they should, things you can review about evangelizing. Um, and, and then next week I want to talk about different evangelism methods. So you may not know how to share the gospel with somebody. So we're going to talk about different methods that you can utilize. And we're going to try to practice them a little bit um, either next week or the week after. We're going to try to incorporate a little bit of practice so that you guys can try to do it a little bit. And, and by the way, whenever you do anything like that where you are practicing um, or you are you know, trying to share the gospel here versus out there, it's much easier to do it out there in real life than it is to do it in front of people or with your friends. Believe me. Um, I've been in multiple scenarios where we try to role play stuff, whether it's just sharing your testimony with people that are practicing on sharing their testimony for a missions trip, or I remember when we were doing uh, the discipleship trip to Ireland and we were practicing doing discipleship like with each other, it was always way harder to do it with each other. So when we practice different evangelism methods in here next week and the week after and however long we end up doing this, it's going to be a lot harder to do it in here than it is to do it out there. Uh, but we're going to have a challenge at the end. Like I know on, on your guys' paper, we have a challenge of what we're going to do next week before we meet together. So we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, and then after talking about different evangelism methods next week and the week after, um, I'd like to talk about um, things that you need to do to promote good gospel conversations. So basic things when it comes to communication and talking with people that you need to do in order to have good, fruitful discussions. So we'll talk about that and then pretty much anything else you guys want to talk about before we hit another topic within the whole Disciple series. Okay, so um, so with that said, uh, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into this Evangelizing Effectively Part 1. God, thank you so much for bringing us all together here uh, tonight, and um, you know, taking a stand for you and opening up our mouth and, and sharing the truth with people is not um, something that's really difficult. It's not difficult at all, but we make it extremely difficult, um, and I think there's many reasons why we do that. Uh, but I think it's we just don't want to uh, we just don't want to be selfless. We don't we don't want to put ourselves out there for you. We want to be selfish and we want to um, just stay comfortable. And um, but Christ, if you did that for us, I mean, you you would not have died for us. You would not have given us the truth. We would not be here today. So I'm thankful, uh, Lord, that you decided to take uh, our sins upon your shoulders and to take that step and to be ashamed. Uh, with our sin upon your shoulders in order to purchase our redemption. So I pray, God, that we would be willing to um, be put down and be humiliated for your namesake. Um, what you've done for us far outweighs anything that we could ever do for you. And we owe it to you. And uh, and we love you. And if we love you, then we will talk about you and we will defend your reputation. And we'll have a heart for people. So I pray that tonight that you would stir within our hearts uh, the truth that we're going to go through. And that you would cause us to open up our eyes to things that we need to do differently in our life. So thanks again. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So um, talking about evangelizing effectively, the first thing that we have to do is that we have to understand and believe you're calling to be Christ's ambassador. So we've spent some time talking about this. We've gone to this passage so many different times. Um, but you have to understand and believe you're calling to be Christ's ambassador. Like, that's really where it begins. you got to understand that this is something God has called you to do. Um, maybe you're not good with talking in front of people. That's okay. It doesn't mean that you're not supposed to be an ambassador. Every Christian is supposed to be an ambassador for God, an ambassador for Jesus Christ. So let's go to 2 Corinthians 5. 
And let's take a look at that verse because this is the place in the scriptures where it talks about uh, this principle. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I'll have someone read 20 and 21 together. Timmy. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to read 20 and 21. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, you be reconciled to God. For he hath made him to, to be sin for us, who knew, who knew no sin, that we might be made by the righteous of God in him. Okay, so now then, he's kind of kind of concluding his whole thought here, but now then, it says, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead be reconciled to God. So this is very, very simple. When you just slow down and you read this verse, we're called to be ambassadors. God has put us in that role. But then after that colon, it says, we pray you in Christ's stead be reconciled to God. So what you need to think about in relation to this verse and you being an ambassador is that right now Christ is not here. You are. And if Christ were here instead of you, what would he be doing? What did he do while he was here? Anybody? Want to take a shot in the dark? It's really not that dark. That all you probably know the answer. <laughs> Witnessing to people, telling people what? Yes, about himself and about God and about the truth. Because during that time, you had a lot of religious leaders who said that they loved God. And they were making their own disciples and their own proselytes and their own followers. But their religion had nothing to do with God. Like they used God's name, but it had nothing to do with him. So when Jesus showed up on the scene and Jesus began to testify of who God was and what God was wanting to do, they outright rejected him. But if Christ was here in your stead... If he, was, if he was in your place, if he was walking in your shoes, in your school, in your families, in your homes, in your teams, whatever, if he was in your place, what would he be doing? And so as you think about what Christ would be doing and how he would be treating people and how he would be talking to people, that is what you're supposed to be doing. Because it says, we pray you in Christ's stead be reconciled to God. So instead of Christ being here, you are. And so whatever Christ would be doing, that's your responsibility. So I think a lot of us, because I know how I think about things, um, I think a lot of us, we don't think about things that way. Because it's our life, it's our time, it's our things that we need to, to get done, whatever it is. Rather than thinking that my life is his and I am his ambassador. So an ambassador, and you guys know this, what does an ambassador do? Like the ambassador of the United States, is he has... Like he serves in the embassy wherever, all around the world. Could be Israel, could be Mexico, could be Germany, wherever. Yeah, Diego. <laughs> I didn't know your other name was Diego. All right, good. They represent the country. Yeah, they represent the country. What else do the ambassadors do? Good, Brittany. Oh, um, they go where the president can't go to talk about issues that are going on. Yeah, so the president can't be in every single country, and yet we have an interest in various countries that will allow us to have an embassy. And so instead of the president being there, you have ambassadors that are there in the stead of the president. And so when they speak in meetings, they speak as if it was the president. 
And that's why the president appoints his ambassadors. And if the ambassador is not going to speak the words or the thoughts or the feelings of the president, the president has the right to fire that ambassador and appoint a new one because he's the speaker for the president. And it doesn't matter what the ambassador believes about the president or if the president is right or wrong, right? We got a lot of those knuckleheads out in politics today. Just watch the confirmation hearings of Judge Kavanaugh. My goodness, idiots. Anyway, side note. So you have these guys that are in a position where their opinions don't matter. The ambassador's opinion about a certain policy or a certain way of doing things, it does not matter. They are supposed to speak the words and the opinions of, of the president. That's what they're supposed to do. And if they violate that, then they're out. Okay, so when it comes to you, same thing. Your opinions about God and about Jesus, they really don't matter. And it really doesn't matter if you don't want to open up your mouth and tell the truth to people. It really doesn't matter. It's still your responsibility. It doesn't matter how you feel. You're supposed to be doing it anyway. And if you don't do what you're supposed to do and fulfill your responsibility, then you're going to get pulled. So you need to think about it on those terms. God expects you to be a faithful ambassador. He has a heart for this world. And if you don't have a heart for this world, well, then you're going to be out of a job. You're going to be out of a job. Doesn't mean you're going to lose your salvation, but he could certainly take you out of this world because you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're not fulfilling your responsibilities. So you just got to think about that a little bit. Got to think about that. All right, so that's that, that verse there for, for the being an ambassador. And I love verse 21 because God's kind of giving an emphasis on top of this. He says, as we're supposed to be this ambassador, he said, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God went through great lengths to author um, the gospel and to purchase the redemption for mankind. And why in the world should we ever stand in the way of other people receiving that good news? So I love how God kind of writes this chapter and kind of caps it off with that. So that's just very, very powerful. So you have to understand and believe and believe you're calling to be Christ's ambassador. If you don't understand it and if you don't believe it, then you'll never do it. And then all, everything we're going to be talking about with evangelism, it frankly just doesn't matter. But that's your calling. That's your calling. Now, each of us are going to be ambassadors in different ways because we're different. We have different personalities. And some of you are great speaking in front of crowds of people. Other of you, you're good just one-on-one. -on -one. But either way, you've got to speak. You've got to be able to speak to people about it. All right. So with that then, um, I was going to at least highlight the next verse. So in 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 7, it talks about how disciples are supposed to be like soldiers, athletes, and a farmer. So in all three of those circumstances, um, that's something that's very important that, that God highlights in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Because you're supposed to be able to endure hardness as a soldier have great endurance as an athlete and have great patience as a farmer. If you're not willing to endure hardness and to have endurance and to be patient, you'll never be a good ambassador. You will quit. At the first sign of resistance, you'll quit. I don't know if any of you have tried to you know, do a new sport or tried to get into something and it was just extremely difficult and you're like, nope, done, I'm out, forget it, quit. You're not on the team because you quit. And so it's the same thing when it comes to being a disciple and doing the work of an evangelist. And I love Philippians 1.27 because it's just a great verse. And so I at least wanted to show you guys that one. It says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Your life should be a reflection, should be a mirror of the gospel. If there's anything in your life 
that is causing the gospel to be defamed or to not look right, then it shouldn't be there. It shouldn't be there. Your life is supposed to be a mirror of the truth of God's word. It's supposed to be a reflection of the gospel. So that's something that we need to think about while we're being ambassadors. All right, so that's the first one. Second point, believe the Bible and what it says about God and other religions. Now, this is something that I didn't have this originally on here, but I was doing my devotions today, and I'm in the book of Isaiah, and I could not help but put this one in here just because of what I was reading. So I need some volunteers. Someone go to Isaiah 45, 5, and 6. Jamie, uh, go ahead and take... um, in the same chapter, verses 21 and 22, Noah, go ahead and take um, Isaiah 46, verse 9. And one more person, no, two more people, Deuteronomy 4, 39. Got that one. And then one more person, take Deuteronomy 32, 39, Brianna. All right, so everybody else, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. So everyone else go to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And I want you to hear these verses. They are very, very, very powerful. And there is a phrase that I want you to remember, and that phrase is this. There is none. There is none, okay? So you need to believe what the Bible says about God and other religions. All right, listen to Isaiah 45, 5, and 6. I am the Lord and there is none else. Very, very emphatic statement. Okay? All right, let's hear the next one. Isaiah 45, 21 and 22. I am God and there is none else. Three times, just in those two verses, God says, I'm it. That's it. There is no one else beside me. Isaiah 46, verse 9. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. Okay, twice in one verse, God says, none else. There is none like me. Deuteronomy 4, 39. Know therefore this day and consider it in thine heart that the Lord is God, heaven above and upon the earth beneath there is none. Okay, none else. There's none else. Deuteronomy 32, 39. Okay, there's none else. God, especially in the book of Isaiah, it's like all over the place in Isaiah, but also in Deuteronomy, he says over and over and over again, there is none else. I'm it. There's none else. There's nothing else. There's no one else. I am God and God alone. There is none else. There's no one else. None else. I mean, he just repeats it over and over again. We live in a day and an age where we are bombarded with religions. We are bombarded with gods and even false perceptions of the God of the Bible. When all of that is a sham, all of it are a bunch of lies. There's nothing else. And people will try to give us a hard time. Well, you guys are too exclusive. (laughs) Darn right we are. We are absolutely exclusive because the Bible is exclusive. God said very, very clearly, I can't get around those verses. I am the Lord. There is none else. And by the way, if you think God lies, just do Titus chapter 1 and verse 2. It says God who cannot lie. God cannot lie. So he says, I am the Lord. There is none else. 
So all these other things that people believe, like with Noah's story, the creation fiction, the creation story, all that kind of stuff. It's a sham. All of it is a sham. There's only one truth. There's only one God, and it is the God that we find in the scriptures. And people might use the scriptures to concoct their own God, but it's not true. There's only one God, and there is none else. And so this is something that should cause you to have confidence when you are sharing your faith. Because it's hard when you're coming against someone else's belief system. Because you're offending that person. Because basically what you're saying, you are a liar. You believe a lie. I have the truth. And if you don't believe what I believe, you will be damned for eternity. And I understand that your family may have believed that for centuries upon centuries upon centuries. But it is the truth. That's hard. That's hard. And here's the other side of it, too. You can't be apathetic towards other people that struggle with that. Because these are people. I mean, these are normal people. I mean, you're asking. I mean, think about this. I, I, I got into the shoes when I was in. So when I was in, in um, Ireland, whenever we would share the gospel with people, I mean, Ireland has been around for, I mean, hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of years. Like, way older than the United States. I mean, I was in a place where I was walking through an area where it had a castle and they were talking about this one area of the castle that was still standing um, and, and how this one brick was like 1,200 years old. Like this one piece of stone was like 1,200 years old. See, in America, we don't have that concept because our country's like, we, we be, we're babies. We're a baby in the world. The United States is a baby in the world. I mean, even Alejandro. I mean, Spain's been around for how, many, how long? Yeah. So we've only been around for hundreds of years, not thousands. Once you start to get over into Europe, those places have been around for thousands of years. And in a lot of cases, their religion's with them. So you think about the generation after generation after generation of generation of false religions that have gone through places. What you're asking of those people to believe is a tall order. Because if they believe what you're telling them, then they are coming to grips with the fact that Maybe their entire family for generations are currently in hell because of what they believed. And so you can't be insensitive about that because that's hard. That's part of counting the cost of the truth. And so when it comes to these sorts of things, you believe what the Bible says. You have confidence that you know the truth because of the Bible, not because of you. A lot of people mistake arrogance for confidence. They do that a lot. We're not arrogant about what we believe. We are confident. And not because of me, because I am a sinner, and so are you. We are confident because of what the Bible says. It's the Bible that's the final authority. It's the Bible that is the rock that we stand on. The only reason I can, I can speak with authority is because of the scriptures, not because of me. Not because of me. And so you need to be able to do the same thing. Uh, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Take a look at verse 4. <clears throat> it says, As concerning therefore... The eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice to idols. We know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is none other God but one. So, very, very simple. There are no other gods. Like, even these idols that people worship, no matter what they are, an idol is nothing in the world. It cannot do anything. And the Bible goes through example after example after example of how idols, they don't speak, they don't talk, they can't deliver people, but people pray unto them. It's crazy that a person can form something, they can create something out of rock or out of wood and worship it when they're the ones that created it and yet they worship it. 
Like it, the Bible talks about that extensively, and that's why God said, even in the Ten Commandments, that you're not supposed to make any graven image. You're not supposed to make anything that has any representation of God whatsoever. That's a violation of the Scriptures. All right, and then look at this verse in 1 Corinthians 10. It says, What say I then, that the idol is anything, or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that you should have fellowship with devils. So behind every idol, there are devils that people are worshiping, and they don't even really know it. That's what that passage says. And that can be a freaky, freaky thing. But that also explains a lot of the phenomenon that's surrounding the worshiping of idols and different things and how that plays into uh, people's superstition. All right, so that's number two. You've got to believe the Bible and what it says about God and other religions. You have to, because if you don't, then you are going to waffle. When you get into a situation where you're talking to somebody about Jesus and about the gospel, you're going to waver because you don't have the confidence that you need to stand firm. And always remember, it's not about you. It's about the Lord. You're representing him. All right? All right, so number three. Once you get those things down, know the gospel and communicate it clearly. You've got to be able to know the gospel. If you've never shared the gospel before, if you've never articulated the gospel before, you need to. You need to start somewhere. Um, even if it means, like in this room, when you practice with somebody else, you need to know the gospel and you need to articulate it clearly. Which should make sense because you're his ambassador. I mean, this was the gospel that he authored, according to Hebrews chapter 12. And so we should be able to communicate it clearly. We should know it and be able to communicate it clearly. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians 2. 1 Thessalonians 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. All right, it says this. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. So there's a few things from this verse that if you were just to take it as is, God has allowed you to be put in trust with the gospel. Okay, so what's the most valuable thing that you own? Like what's something that you have that is just... It means a lot to you. It might have a, a great value. Yeah, Lydia. My car. Your car. Yeah. Okay. Would you trust your car to Micah? No. Never. <laughs> no. I don't even want my dad driving. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Because you fear what? What do you fear with your car? I'm afraid he's going to fall apart. He's kind of old. So, like, and I don't think he can fall apart. He's going yeah, you're talking about the car, not your dad, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all, right. all right. Just wanted to check. Just wanted to check. Yeah. Val's car? Yeah. Yeah, that is old. Yeah. Pretty sure Yeah. All right. What else we got as far as valuable items? Yeah. Uh, wedding rings. Wedding rings. Yes. Would you trust Lucy with your wedding rings? Of course. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. We'd probably have to go to, to the emergency room. Yeah, we would. But you would trust me with your wedding rings. Yeah. Yeah. I, think you I trust you more than myself. <laughs> <laughs> I think trust Lucas. Because, uh, apparently, I don't. <laughs> no, she would not trust Lucas with her wedding rings. No. I lose them all the time. Yeah. God <laughs> protects them, so I know that he has them somewhere for me. Like, one time I lost my engagement ring for a year and a half, and I found them in a folded sheet. 
and I'm not kidding you, it was because of the Lord because I was praying that week. That was the week I decided to start praying about it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, God, it's good here to have. Can you please just show it to me? Yeah, there it is. So, well, uh, you know, I'm banking on that now because. Because you lost them? Seriously, you don't know where your wedding earrings are? Oh my gosh. All right. I think they're still in a box somewhere. The symbol of my love, my commitment to my wife, is right. missing. <laughs> All right. All right. So, totally ruined the illustration. But the whole point... No, it's okay. Yeah. No, you trust me more than yourself. Got it. Okay. So, God has trusted you with the gospel. The gospel is something that he purchased with his own blood. That he put his very life and reputation out for. The gospel is what defines the character of God more than anything else in the scriptures. And he has put it in your care. What you think about them? Marbles. <laughs> like I there's part of me where I'm like, God, what are you thinking? You know, why would he why would he trust something so precious to me? I mean I, I know this is dumb, but God, do you know me? <laughs> you know how you know how I am, right? You know that I and yet this is what he's done. What a privilege and what an honor we have from God. That he would do that with us, that he would give us something so valuable when when someone has placed something in your hands that is very very valuable to them and very very precious to them like there's a sense of <laughs> you know there's a fear there's a fear involved in your heart about i better not drop this or else it's gonna break you know i better take good care of this it's very important and god has trusted entrusted you with that that's significant so we see that from this verse we also see that uh, even so we speak. So God has put us in trust with the gospel. Even so we speak. So we speak those things. And when they want to speak accurately, they want to be able to articulate the gospel clearly and responsibly. But then look at the next part. Not as pleasing men, but God with try at their hearts. So this means that the gospel is already going to be against men. It's going to be against mankind. And so the point is, when you preach the gospel, when you speak the gospel, when you share the gospel, it's not to please people. It's not to make them happy. The gospel was never designed to make people happy. It was designed to make people right with the Lord. Because people are, just by nature, we're wrong. We are, we're broken. And so when they receive bad news, I mean, I know, Jamie, you've seen this in your line of work. Whenever people receive bad news, how do they react? Scary, but not well. Yeah, not well. It could be all over the board. And the same thing with the gospel. People react in, in various ways all over, the, all over the board. Anger. Tears. Frustration, denial. Yeah. It's the same thing with the gospel. You're basically telling people that they have an incurable disease, and without the Lord Jesus Christ, they will die and spend eternity separated from God. I mean, they're not going to take that well. So you have to understand that. But you have to understand that you need to know it and communicate it clearly. You are responsible. So let's take a look at the next point. So based on that alone, resolve in your heart and mind that persecution is inevitable. Make up your mind beforehand that the difficulties that come with sharing the gospel, they're already going to come. They're going to come. So, I mean, if that chickens you out, you know, if that, that scares you to death and you're going to wuss out on God, then so be it. Just understand where you stand with this. Persecution is inevitable. So if you're going to chicken out, that's fine. But just realize what you're doing and what you're communicating back to God. Just remember that. Yeah. And I was talking about this last week, and I'm going to continue to that. You know, 
I am guilty of believing that, well, I just won't say anything because I know this person's not going to receive it and I know they're not going to get saved, so why bother or whatever. And I'm totally guilty of thinking that sometimes because maybe I've tried to share with them before and they've shut me down or uh, maybe they're just like so, I've seen them be so obstinate to the gospel that I'm like, I'm not even going to bother. And God like has totally convicted my heart of that thought process because he loves them as much as he loves me. Yeah. And that's a hard pill for me to swallow sometimes because I'm like, God, I'm following you. Like, I read your word and I have trusted you for salvation and they have it. And like, in our humanity, we can't reconcile that he loves them equal to how much he loves us. And yeah. so that should cause us to be like, okay, they need him just as much as I do. They do. Um, which I think is sometimes we don't really think it like that, but mm-hmm. we avoid giving the gospel because we just really don't believe that God loves them as much as he loves us. Mm-hmm. And you never know where someone's at. Right. And you never know what kind of circumstance they're going to be in. I mean, there have been people that have been flat out just straight up rebellious against the gospel and against the truth of the Bible. And they may have been that way for years and years and years, but how do you know in that moment they're not going to be? Like, for example, so part of our testimonies that we're sharing, we're getting ready, we're going to Mexico in October, Andy and I are. And so part of our training is that we're giving our personal testimony. Well, this past week, um, there are two people that we had not heard testimonies from, and it was Claudia Finley and Dave Peters, um, one of our deacons, Dave. And um, I had forgotten about Dave's salvation testimony. And this guy, I mean, if you had known Dave as a lost man, I mean, even if you know Dave today, Dave's a hard man. And, uh, but if you'd have known him as a lost man, I mean, you'd have been terrified of this guy. And so he was telling all of us about how he was not saved. He was lost. He did not trust Christ as a savior. And yet he was in a Methodist church and he was asked to be one of the leaders and deacons of, uh, of this church. And that he went to a promise keepers uh, meeting, which is, you know, like a men's conference type deal. And, um, and his church asked him to be a promise keeper's pastor. And so at the end of one of the messages, the preacher would give the gospel and guys would be coming down to him in order for him to tell them how to get saved. And he's not even saved himself. He doesn't know how to articulate the gospel. And before he left, like he told Tom, because he's brother-in-law with Tom, so they knew, they knew each other. And he told Tom about how he was going to go to Promise Keepers, and Tom was, like, ripping into him about Promise Keepers and how they're just, you know, a bunch of liberals, and they've compromised in the scriptures, and da, 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 da. I mean, like, in his face. And Dave's like, you know nothing about the Bible. You know, I mean, he just railed on Tom. when It was just, it was just a funny story the way Dave shared it. But what was funny is that Dave had heard the gospel year after year, and Tom was very faithful to Dave as family to share the gospel with them over the years and, and Dave flat out just rejected it, rejected it, almost fought over it and rejected it, rejected it. He gets the promise keepers and he's standing at the bottom while um, I think it was like Warren Wearsby, I think, was, was preaching the gospel. And he's standing there listening to this man preach the gospel and Dave is immediately convicted. And as soon as Dave got to this point in the story, he began to just cry. He said, because I wasn't even saved myself. And these men started coming down to receive Christ. And that's when he received Christ from this guy preaching the gospel at Promise Keepers. And so these guys came forward and they're talking to Dave. And he's like, what do we do? And he's like, I have no idea. Do you guys know? <laughs> and they all prayed together and ended up receiving Christ together at Promise Keepers. And it was very humbling for him. And so when it comes to these sorts of things, you have got to understand that the gospel is already going to be offensive to people and you never know where people are going to be at at any given point in time and you don't know that 
what you're about to share with them could be the moment that they could receive Christ. You don't know. You don't know how the little things. I mean, they might seem openly rebellious against you, but you have no idea. You have no idea. Because at the end of the day, when their head is laying on their pillow at night and no one else is around, thoughts stir in their mind and in their hearts, and they know that what you said is true because God loves them and God has written his law in their heart and their conscience is bearing witness to the things that you even spoke of. And you might not even think that you're making any difference in the world, but you are, just by taking a stand. Because God will make your words resonate in their heart and mind, and it will convict them. But you have to resolve in your heart and mind that persecution is inevitable. Anybody know 2 Timothy 3.12? Starts off with a yay. Yes. Yay, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Shall. So if you are not suffering any form of persecution, then you are not living godly. That verse is very, very clear. Yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It's just part of the game. Part of the deal. That's why John 15, 20, it, Jesus said this, Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. They will. It's just the way it goes. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, they will treat you the same as they treated Jesus Christ. And this world hated him. This world hated him. So it is impossible to be on good terms with the world if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and to share the truth of the gospel. Okay, now this next one, I love this one because this is something that helps me tremendously. Recognize that truth hurts. It hurts. We've already spent a little bit of time talking about this. Recognize that truth hurts, but can be made palatable through true love. You know, if you really care about somebody, you can say some very hard things to them and they will receive it because they know that you care about them. It's the other side. If you're being just a jerk when it comes to spiritual things and about the gospel and about Jesus, and you're straight up just being, you know, just spiteful and you're fighting with them on spiritual matters, you're not going to get anywhere with people because they don't think you actually care about them. But if you genuinely care about somebody and they, can, they know that and they can see that and they can feel that, then you can say some pretty hard things to them and it will be received. When it comes to um, counseling situations, I've been in these circumstances like crazy where I have said some things where I'm surprised that person didn't punch me in the face. <laughs> but I'm, I look at them and I say, but I'm telling you this because I care about you. I care about you and I care about where you are. And when you start communicating some of those things with your heart towards other people, then people will be able to receive it, even if they disagree with it. Even if they disagree with it, your care for them will, will be, it's almost like, you know, it's almost like with a needle where it goes underneath the skin and it gets right into the, into the, into the blood. I mean, it's just like that. You know, you can take medicine and throw it on people's bodies, right? But it's not going to really do much. That would be fun though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Here's some ibuprofen in a water balloon. It's not going to work. That has to be ingested. Well, the way that you care about people helps it to get into them, and it becomes more effective. It's, just, it's the exact same way. And this is why I love 1 John 3.18. Look at this one. Go to 1 John 3.18. 1 John. 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Jude, Revelation, Concordance, blank pages, maps, whatever else you have over there. All right. 1 John. Chapter 3. In verse 18. 
My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. If you love someone, you can't just say it. You have to show it. And this is why, even in the context, look at verse 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So on your guys' city sheet, I had 1 John 3, 16. I really meant verse 18, but we're going to use 16 as well because it's a perfect example of it. We can understand when God says, I love you, the greatest way we understand God saying, I love you, is not necessarily by his words, it's by his actions. It's what he did for us. And so it should be with you too. If you say you care about somebody, it will be evident by your life. It will be evident by the things that you do. This is common sense, but this is what people are looking for. This is why... A lot of people have just given up on religion and they've given up on spirituality and they've given up on God and they've given up on the Bible because of stinking hypocrites that say they love God but don't live it. This is why. Like people that have issues with religion are like, oh, I hate religion. You know what I tell them? So do I. You know how they look at me? (laughs) They look at me really funny. And then I get to explain to them why. And and I say, it makes me mad when people say that they love God, but it doesn't really mean anything in their life. Because that's not us. That's not what Jesus did. He exemplified his love by his actions. He actually lived it out. And so that's something very, very important. And so when you do tell someone the truth, and you do it in a loving manner, I love how Paul said this in Galatians 4.16, Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? And like the next couple verses after, he's like... (laughs) I love you guys and I'm sharing these things with you because I love you and so you can say some very hard things to people when they know that you love them and anyone know Proverbs 27 6 faithful are the wounds of a friend faithful are the wounds of a friend but the kisses of the enemy are deceitful are deceitful your friends will be the ones that will actually wound you and I know it may not feel like it at the time But they're the ones that actually care because they're willing to tell you the truth. All right, number six. Prioritize God's opinion and reputation above all else. You've got to be able to do that. You've got to be able to do that. Um, In Acts chapter 4 and chapter 5, we don't have time to look at these verses. But in Acts chapter 4 and chapter 5, you know what the apostles did? What did they say? The Pharisees are saying, don't talk about Jesus anymore. What did they say? Anyone remember? Even if it's paraphrased. No. 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 Yeah, pretty close. We ought to obey God rather than men. That's what they said. You know, whether it's right in the sight of God or not, we're going to obey God, not you. We're going to do what God told us to do, not, not obey you guys. And so they resolved that in their heart, and they knew that that was going to be the case. So God's opinion, God's reputation mattered above all else. And then, um, I love this verse. I want to share this one. Galatians 1.10 says, For do I now persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. You cannot please people and serve God. And this is hard to swallow because I am a people pleaser. I want people to be happy with me. And if someone is upset with me, I have a problem. Like even if it was a small issue, like there was an issue in our neighborhood with one of our neighbors. Megan was telling me about it. I heard about it. It bothered me. It bothered me so much. I went over to his house and I said, hey, I just want to make sure you and I are okay. Now, it was the right thing to do anyway, but it bothered me. And so that's something that's a weakness of mine that I have to, I have to check myself with. 
because I don't want people to be upset with me. And sometimes that can be my fault where then I end up compromising the truth because I don't want people to be upset with me. And chances are you might be in that same boat. Some of you are just flat out, you just don't care what other people think of you, and that's great. <laughs> but just be careful because you can be too combative and then people don't think you love them. So anyway, that's the other side of things. So here is very important. If I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. It's not about pleasing people. It's about pleasing the Lord. And so those of you that don't struggle with that, remember you're supposed to please the Lord. So love people because without loving people, you can't please the Lord. So just remember that. That's a way to balance it out. All right. With all these things in mind, then you need to get to work and be creative. Get to work and be creative. And the verse that I want to end with is in 1 Corinthians 15. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. A great memory verse if you don't have one or if you need one. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Somebody read it. Diego. Therefore, my beloved brother, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know, may your labor is not in vain. Okay. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. All right. To be steadfast, unmovable, that's someone that's committed, someone that's willing to go the the length that's necessary to be faithful, always abounding in the work of the Lord. You know what I picture? This just kind of popped into my head, so it might be just a terrible illustration, but I'm going to use it anyway. When it comes to being faithful, you need to be like water. Sometimes it's hard to really contain water. It has a way of finding its way through cracks. Believe me, we had a flooded basement in the first several years of my life as a, as a married man. <laughs> and it was terrible. I'm very thankful that we don't have one right now. And I'm hoping it never happens ever, ever again. But water is one of the most destructive forces this world has ever seen. And it has a way to get into places and get into cracks, and it just does not stop. It does not stop. It just keeps going and going and going until it finds its resting place, whether it's in the water table could be in a river, could be in an ocean, could be a lake, wherever, until it finds its resting place. As a faithful Christian, you need to be like water. Nothing should stop you. Oh yeah, that's a wall? Forget it. I'm going to go right through it. I mean, that's, what you, <laughs> that's the mindset you have to have. You got to be creative about it. Just because you get a little bit of resistance doesn't mean that you back out and you just quit. That's right. You got to remember that people's souls are on the line. And so do whatever you have to. I mean, sometimes the door is just shut. Like, I'm not saying don't disrespect people. There are some people that will be straight up, don't talk to me about the gospel. Okay, then don't talk to them about the gospel. But they know that you shared it, and they know that if they're ever in a pinch or if they have questions, they know they can come to you because you shared the gospel with them. But sometimes we get a little bit of resistance, and we just stop. We invite people to church, and they're like, ah, they don't really respond. So does that mean you stop inviting them? No, keep inviting them. Keep inviting them. All right, so with that in mind, then here's what we're going to do. Next week, we're going to be talking about different methods of evangelism. So that'll be fun, and we'll try to work some of those things out. should be good. And then here's your challenge for the week. Share something spiritual with a lost or wayward person this week and be ready to talk about it next Wednesday. Give the gospel. Invite someone to church. Share what God is teaching you. Whatever it is, um, try to do something like that. If you've never done it before, I understand this could be a very, very difficult task for you. Um, and, and you don't have to go all out and, and preach the gospel in front of your class like Noah did, but that was a great opportunity. It could be something very, very simple. It could be just, you know, even a, a small conversation. It could be like Hannah's where you see someone that's upset and you talk to them about it and you can share something spiritual, something that encourages you about the Bible. But do something. Do something. 
You've got to start somewhere. If you struggle with this in your life, start somewhere. Start somewhere. Maybe there's someone who should be coming to church and they just haven't and you've noticed and maybe you just need to write them a card. Write them a card and invite them to come to church. Whatever. It could be anything. Get creative, but do something. Even if it's small, do something. And then when you come back next week, you guys will be able to share that with each other. All right, let's go ahead and pray. We'll get out of here. God, thank you so much again for your word. Um, it truly is all that we need for life and godliness. Um, it gives us exactly what we need. It tells us where we're, where we're at, what we need to do differently. It is the perfect mirror. So I pray, God, that we will be obedient to the things that we talked about, that we will believe them with our whole heart, and that we would desire deeply to be faithful ambassadors for Jesus Christ. So help us, God. We need you in order to do it because we are frail, and we are very, very fickle people, and, um, and there's no way that we can do it without you. So thanks again. And I pray that we be encouraged by these things and get out there and open up our mouths and speak something to somebody. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.